I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo here with Sam Monson. Voice is getting a little better. Is it? This is going to be a grind for both of us. It's my Jordan flu game. Hmm. Minus the flu. It's just my voice game. The voice game. The voice game. You got two hours in you with that voice. I felt like my voice was doing much better this morning. Yeah? And And now, you know, it'll come and go. I might get some Kirk Cousins voice cracks in there. So this this is the product of the NFL Combine. This is. We are, look, we went, we did a PFF NFL Daily, winners and losers on the combine, just to whet the appetite a little mm. bit. We're going to get more in depth here, but we are clearly the losers of the combine. Amongst the losers. Amongst. I think yes. really everybody that was there for the length of time that we were there uh, come out of Indy as losers of the combine. So, you know, if you look at the PFF YouTube channel, you'll see a little behind the scenes video of some of the stuff we did in Indy. It's not truly behind the scenes, though, because the camera didn't come with us, you know, late at night to prime, for example, and, right. you know, all the other bars that people go to. And you talk to some people, and like, they're saying, this is the week where my age really becomes a factor, you know? Because we've talked about this before, like, in season, when you have to do the late night and then the early morning, it's like, one day is fine, right? Yeah, Anybody right. can do one day, right. two hours sleep, get going, you're good. You do it two days in a row, all of a sudden that starts to hit. And with Indy, you're doing it, like, five or six days in a row, and you're just dead. So I got this thing, this whoop band. My, my dad gave me one for Christmas. I don't really know how it works yet, but it tracks stuff, right? So I have it on. And it shows you something called recovery, which I don't know what it is, but, you know. You don't have it left? You don't have any left? Yeah. So, you know, generally speaking, it bounces between like 80 and 100% recovery day, on a daily basis, and you're, you're, you're good to go. But when you look at the week of the combine, it started off at 100%. I think the Sunday before we left for the combine, and then you just watch it fall off a cliff on this graph. Yeah, look, there it is. It just nosedives. 98% down to 56 to 36 to 11, and then hovering around this miserable state of 20% or less recovery. There was, there was just no recovery going. And then the top, it says, your body is struggling to recover. <laughs> there's, there's simply no recovery happening at this point. You go to sleep, you just about survive to the next day, and you go again. Like, no kidding. Yeah. I feel that. Right. It's just nice to see it in graphical form. You know, this is I've exactly seen, what happens at the Combine. I've seen people put memes together for what happens during Combine Week. There's nothing better than that. Mm. The chart of uh, your recovery. It's literally showing you what happens. Decreasing. You are just being destroyed. And the reason why is because, you know, everybody's kind of doing their work and, you know, Radio Row or teams in the meeting rooms or teams in the – everyone's doing stuff, right? And then you get to the evening – you go have dinner, and then you get to the point where you can actually go talk to people. Then right? it's networking time. Yeah, networking time. So the entirety of the NFL 
world, the ecosystem, is all in Indy, which is a tiny town with not much going on, which means they're concentrated in like three bars. So you go out to those three bars and you see all these people you haven't seen for months, for years, potentially, and all the important you know, NFL people you want to be talking to and, and uh, getting interesting things and deals done, like free agency, the stuff that's about to happen, all that kind of stuff starts. It happened last week. Yeah, in, in the steakhouses. Bar. And steakhouses in Indy, um, which means that everybody is out until the wee hours of the morning. And then if you're Austin Gale, you're pushing it to like five until Prime hands out those Uncrustables for free for everybody that's still there when they finally <laughs> kick them out of the bar. That's so, amazing. And that doesn't leave an awful lot of time left to sleep and then get up and do work the next day. Yeah, so I, um, I missed the one podcast because, yeah, most of my work was, uh, behind, was behind the scenes. So this is, teams. this is what I want to hear about, right? From your side of things, I don't know how much people know this, but, we, you know, we both started off and we were, we were both 100% data to begin with because everybody in PFF was, right? Right. And then as the years went on, we pivoted to more of the content side of things, and that's how we're here on this podcast. Um, and then you kind of pivoted back, and you're now like 90% B2B side, the business side of things. And just this, the podcast is your 10% left on the public side of things. I'm the other way around. I'm basically 100% content. So I wasn't in any of these meetings this year. So talk. What happened? What do you find out? Some dirt? Yeah. I mean, we're not sitting there like workshopping free agent moves or draft (laughs) picks with the teams or anything. But um, we had 35 meetings in three days. That's most teams. Some teams we, we meet more remotely. Some teams have multiple meetings. And it's a lot of just, you know, reviewing what we've done. I mean, because we are, we're providers of their, their data. And, you know, so it's a lot of, you know, tech stuff, logistical stuff. And then there was a lot of talking about PFFIQ, our new, um, new subscription for teams that about the quarter of the league has right now, which is more involved with um, decision making and giving the proper tools to use the PFF data in every draft and free agent decision. Um, so... Really good receptive, you know, very receptive, I'd say, across the league of that. But here's the biggest takeaway. When we were in our early meetings, Sam, five, six years ago, the NFL was not equipped to use a big database of information. We had a big bowl of information for the for teams. And then we had to create our own products to interpret it and visualize it and all that stuff. Five or six years later, they're still using that. They still need that. That's PFF Ultimate. But now they're actually more equipped to use raw data. So they, one of the big takeaways is when you guys create war and all these new metrics that, again, have to pretty much be parsed off to um, team clients, they want that in raw data form because they're, they're coming far more equipped on the analytical side. Whereas five or six years ago, there was one person, there was you know, a video coordinator who would just get the data in and they didn't have anybody to do anything with it. Um, we have to flatten the data, Sam, a couple mm. times. We have to re-flatten it. You know, you'll, you'll know that. Um, so that was interesting to me is the NFL now is more equipped to do stuff with data. And they're own. looking for big, big data, right? There's a big data bowl. They're hiring people from the big data bowl. They want to have um, computer vision uh, data, change of direction and speed data on college players. That's, that's really a hot topic. So um, the NFL is moving in the right direction, I'd say, across the board. Yeah, and every team, as I always say, is completely different, right? Different levels of, of course, usage, and that still is the case. But I think that's a really interesting takeaway from that week. That you know, years ago, there were some teams that had no earthly idea what they were doing with any of this stuff, right? You would sit there and in those meetings, and some of the things you were hearing, it's like 
unless we do this for you, nothing is happening, right? Like you are completely incapable of getting. Are you struggling there with that? My mic, mic just keeps. Uh, no, come on. you're supposed to let me do this off camera. It just keeps. I mean, it was. It's slowly it's just, dropping. I was going to let it go when you were just. The thing was just dropping on its own, but then suddenly every single piece of the article. It was like on the table. Was falling apart. There's like five different pivot points, and every one of them. It was looks falling. like your combine weak health. It just slowly yeah. declines. Um, anyway, a few years ago, you would hear these NFL teams, and they would talk, and it's like, unless we do this for you, you you're not doing any of this. Like, it's just not happening. You're, you don't have anybody in the building capable of doing any of this work. Um, and now. Every NFL team is capable of doing something, right? It's a case of what they're doing, where they prioritize it. And then the best teams, obviously, as it's always been, have been doing all this stuff by themselves or well capable of doing all of it, are at the cutting edge and just want as much data as humanly possible to let them do as much as humanly possible. Uh, there was, it was also interesting. Sometimes you have pretty intense sit-downs with coaches, who's, you, know, uh, you know, coaches who are involved in game management, and you know, replay decisions, challenge decisions, fourth down decisions. And it's not about there. It's not about having data and information. Every team's using something, some sort of reference point there. It's about speed. It's coaches who are like in the booth, in the ear of the coach, doing whatever they can to find an advantage, to just be on point, to, to communicate effectively. So that's interesting, too. So the more the NFL gets all of the same data, they've been sitting on NGS data, next-gen stats, the chip data, for years. It is about finding those edges, whatever they might be. So, I mean, that's, it's how baseball evolved. It's how other sports evolved is, you know, it started with simple stuff in baseball, like, hey, get on base more, on base percentage. In, in football, it's well beyond a lot of the Twitter decisions, like, should we go forward on fourth down? Like, every team's at least making those decisions. And whether they make the right or wrong decision, for the most part, they're thinking about it, right? They're analyzing it. They're preparing for it during the week. Analytics in the NFL is not just fourth down decisions. It's everything that they do. They're studying and using data, and um, it's, it's really come a long way, I'd say, in recent years. One other big takeaway I had was, and this continues to freak me out every time we go anywhere, is how many people tell me that they listen to the podcast I know, we're, we ran into a bunch. Yeah, and it's one thing if it's just somebody saying, and this happened a few times, where they're like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so, a big fan of the podcast, love what you guys do. It's like, yeah, great, thanks, thanks for listening, it's awesome, right? Fine, I can deal with that. It's, it's like real NFL people, you know? They're like, yeah. hey, I listen to the podcast, and all of a sudden you have to run that, like, mental, um, you know, fact-finding query of like, uh-oh, what have I said that's relevant to this person on the podcast? That <laughs> Have we you know, trashed your decision-making right. and your organization? That is recently. all of a sudden acutely important in this conversation. Um, so that's always a little bit freaky. Also, we had a bunch of people tell us how much they like the, uh, the charity stuff that we're doing, which yeah. I think is kind of cool to hear. Like actual, you know, real NFL people being like, that's a cool way of using your platform. We also, I think, potentially came up with the next charity drive simply through me being insulted by everybody's take on what it would be. We were at a private party and uh, hypothesizing whether or not you could, how fast you could throw. Well, we started off by saying, you know, we're annoyed that we bought this radar gun for the last charity thing, right, to see you top out at 74 miles an hour pitching. And I was sort of saying, I'm so annoyed that we never thought to just put somebody normal, like a randomer, on just throw and see what they would pitch in a radar gun, right? Because, you know, with the, with the greatest of respect... Mr. Former Minor League Pitcher, wasn't a lot of heat coming down, you know? And I was sure. like, I'm curious how close I would get to that. 
And I voiced that, uh, that, that sentence. And immediately somebody was like, 50. I was like, what? So I was, I was disgusted. And then so I, I started like surveying the crowd, right? Come on. Like somebody that's never thrown, pitched a baseball before, but, you know, is human and can throw things. What would they max out on the radar gun? And the consensus appeared to be like mid-50s. There were some ridiculous lunatics out there saying 40-something. And then like the optimistic end were saying you get top 60. And I was saying, I will guarantee that the first number is a six. Guarantee it. I'm giving you 14 miles an hour over that miserable slow ball you were throwing. And so, I'm still hitting 60. So this could be one where there are two charities. Uh, that, I don't want to take away from a charity. But I was going to say there could be two charities. If you hit 60, it goes to mine. If you hit, I mean, it goes to yours. If you're under 60, it goes to mine. No, I'd say we just like the... like the Or we double it or something. Like your know. thing. We just raise the money and see what the number is. I'm I'll, I'll add in more money if I don't get to 60. Now I feel like I need to grab a bat. I'm 100% sure. Oh, yeah, you got a, you got a bat. All right. Me Sam, at 60, you, you pitched will, to me. I'm, I'm sure ding that thing out of the park. I whatever. raked in high school. I am 100% sure I can hit 60. Stone sent me this video. So I've got two reference points now, right? One is your 74, which really wasn't fast. And two, Stone sent me this video of some MLB pitcher that, like, his stick is he pitches, like, 45. And because he's, everybody's used to facing, like, 90, nobody can handle it, right? And him pitching 45 looks like somebody pitching left-handed. Who was, who was throwing 45? I don't remember what his name is. What do you, like, big fat guy just dinks the ball at 45 in, in the majors, right? And him throwing 45 looked like somebody lofting the ball left-handed. And you throwing 74 didn't look fast. So if I can split the difference of those two, that's 60. Yeah. That seems easy. Yeah, seems easy. I'm telling you. This, I, I'm, not, I'm not having it. There's no way I'm under 60. Roll out of here right now. We'll go hit 60. <laughs> can, we get, can we get thoughts in YouTube? Yeah. By the way, this baseball talk is driven by Sam, not me, this time around. Doesn't matter. Still in there. It's your tally. Yes. Send us, send us emails. Send us messages. Back me up that I will hit 60. NFL podcast at pff.com is the email address. Uh, PFF NFL pod on Twitter is the Twitter address. There's just no way. 60. It's not high. Speaking of the charity drives, go check out Sam's pins tweet and my pins tweet. We took a little, we're, we're slowing down. Are you slowing down? I don't know. I haven't looked in a while. What are we at? Well, we need help over here. 1,116. Okay. I'm still working from behind. It, it might be 28 to 3 here. We're working from behind over here, but on my side, raising money to see me do combine drills. We just saw, like, don't you want to see me try to match what Jordan Davis did? I got no shot mm. of doing anything close. So... Um, see me do uh, combine drills, raising money for Heritage House with my poorly cropped video. I, I need to change the picture. Maybe yes, that'll attract yes, more do. people. But I'm only at $245. But um, look, I was just with one of the guys from Heritage House yesterday. And I just want to reiterate the stories of the men in this recovery program. Some who used to be homeless, some who have been in jail for the majority of their life. Completely changed lives. So that's what it's all about. That's what we're raising money for on my side. And uh, appreciate everybody that's already donated and those who are going to help us get over the hump and get to that $2,500 so you can see me do the combine drills. I think you need to pivot and, you know, you need – you and the combine drill, it's just not a draw. People are not 
it's not do connecting I, with the people. Do I pivot back to like the table thing? I think you need to pivot. The back mic's to just getting. I'm just gonna let it roll. I'm just yeah. gonna let it go. You need to pivot. It gets back lower to every time you push back to the camera that the people want to see, and I think people, more people, want to see I saw, you launch yourself through a table. I saw Sting, who's almost 63, mm-hmm. uh, the wrestler, not the musician. I got it. Yeah, uh, jump through like a triple decker table last night. Well, there you go. If he can do that in his 60s. Old friend Tony Khan really making the old men work for it. He can do that in his 60s. You've got the body of a 60-year-old. I mean, it's about the same, right? Yeah. If, I'm pretty sure. If Sting can do it, I can do it. So I will think about it. I'm just Let a, us know. Just trying to if help I, I pivoted to the table, would we have a better shot here? Yeah, look. Josh Liskowitz just sent me a thing saying 11-year-olds throw 60. I got this. Easy. Yeah, those. That's not true. It is. It's a little league pitcher. Gas in little league. It still exists. If a if a little leaguer can throw sixty, I can throw sixty. Come on, there's a degree of like you know adult strength that you have. I'm not having it. I'm throwing sixty, and we're gonna raise money doing it. Are you gonna push yours at all? I my, I don't need to push mine. I'm okay. You're doing well. Sunshine kids. All right, <clears throat> the the people have waited long enough. Mm. Let's get to the NFL Combine. Okay. I'm gonna start with this question. Okay. Are the kids just faster these days? Are the kids just faster? Are the well, kids didn't faster? they change the turf in Lucas Oil a while ago? Is that what it was? I think somebody was saying there's new turf there at some point, which probably helps, right? I mean, they're not, they're not replacing the turf with things that make you slower. I, I really think. So we, we had some impressive times Thursday night. They were unofficial, even when they became official. Well, hang on. So the first thing to point out is that they've changed the order that they do things in for the combine. That's right? what I was going to get to. Okay, fair enough. That these kids work out in, right? It used to be the things were separate days. Um, now they sort of shoved all the workout stuff onto the same day. The bench is earlier in the day from the workouts. So what you're seeing is immediately massive swathes of people are boycotting the bench press. Because like, I'm not going out to rep 225 pounds as many times as humanly possible and then going out there and doing drills where I actually need that muscle again. Um, so a ton of people are just not benching. Like three wide receivers in total benched. Um, and th- when they do the bench, they make them go up on the mic and individually state to the crowd that, like, I'm choosing not to work out, blah, blah, I'll be working out my pro day. That seems a little... Well, so it made sense when there was, like, three people opting out, right? And you wanted to peer pressure slash shame them into doing it, right? Which also is probably ridiculous. Whatever. I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay with, in- with disincentivizing just opting out of the workout because I don't want to do it here. Um, it and it makes shame that I announced that I will not bench. Exactly. Today. So they make them do that, and it, it's fine when there's only a couple of people. But when the entire wide receiver group is opting out, and you make them individually one after the other state that, it's, it's just absurd. It's like 10 minutes of people on the mic saying, hi, I'm blah, blah, from wherever. I'm not working out today. I'll be working out in my pro day. It's just ridiculous. But then it got to the end, the one guy who chose to bench, and he was like, you know, my name's Josh Johnson. And I will be benching. Literally drops the mic, walks off, and there's like a round of applause, like cheers from the crowd uh, as the one guy decided to bench. I want to see Steve dressed as Frodo from Lord of the Rings and do a scene. He has the hair and the irony would be awesome. That would be an excellent charity drive suggestion. Look, anything, I'm open. I'm open to more things. I hate acting. Who's going to be Sam? Who's going to be Sam? I mean, it's not going to be me. I'll put that out right there. I am not going to be Samwise Gamgee for this little... Uh, Weird ass Sam Lord Sam. of the Rings recreation you're I doing. I detest acting in general. 
very uncomfortable with it. You need to find a, because Samwise is larger than Frodo, so you need to find, you and Daniel Falele would make a good oh. Samwise Gamgee. Well, I don't know we if you can convince him to do that, but we should have done that last week then. True, when we were both in Indy together. Or you know, Jordan Davis. You could. There's a couple of those guys in Indy you could latch it onto. It's I'm sure shame. we could track them down. all the time. The good ideas come just a week after you need them. Let's get our people on that. Um, what are we talking about? The kids running fast. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think I think the biggest thing. So yeah, I think the not having to bench is probably a thing. I really think if you look at the differences, there's always been differences in. Combine 40s and Pro Day 40s. And there's multiple reasons for that. One of them, you get more training time at Pro Day. Maybe Pro Day, I mean, it's obviously got a different surface at Pro Day. Maybe Penn State's got a little incline to their workout facility. I wonder if the scouts bring the, uh, the level, bring a level. Spirit level? Yeah. Drop it down? I hope they bring a level to Some Penn State. Some of the State. stories are great. By the way, the other thing about Indy is that with the rejigging of the schedule and stuff, it's on later. So it's like because of the prime time stuff. Right, the, the workouts are later than they used to be, which almost certainly affects it in some way, shape, or form. We were talking to an agent. Can you let me set up my points? Because that was the point I was going to get. You, you keep cutting me off. All right. Um, okay. Say that point. The combine starts later. Well done. Thanks. Great point, Steve. The kids aren't sleep deprived. Yeah. The kids. So we were talking to an agent who was saying he prefers it this way, right? Because yeah. they, in the old days, it was like one thing after another. You just got launched through the whole thing. Now... You kind of have time to have a nap in the middle of the day, eat some food, all those kinds of things, like real food. And, and it was nice of the NFL <clears throat> to allow the kids to eat. Oh, yeah. They unbubbled, nice and, and they're, they're going to let them actually eat food. By the way, nice. if you've been the behind-the-scenes thing in Indy, like <laughs> the absurdity of the concept of a bubble when you see the stuff that happens after, the, like, after hours in Indy. What, like... NFL coaches were going to wander into prime, have Mike Renner, like, l- hanging all over them, and then, like, go back to the bubble. That was the way this was supposed to work? Yeah. That's not a great plan. Was prime uh, shoulder to shoulder? Again, I didn't make my way over there. Very much so, yes. I made my way to the other places where it was shoulder yeah. to shoulder. Renner gave one of the most awkward introductions to anybody I've ever seen in my life. You know when he's, the, like, awkward chat-up lines type of thing? Renner basically did that to Matt LaFleur. He, Come on, you he, can't give too much behind the scenes. No, nah, this is okay. I'm 100% sure Renner will have told the story himself or yeah. Austin on their podcast. So Renner just like sidles up to Matt LaFleur after like half an hour of psyching himself up and, uh, you know, leans over to him and says, Matt, shareholder. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, LaFleur didn't, you know, whatever the, whatever the desired effect was to elicit, didn't get it. Didn't you know, get it. I, I lose a little respect for Matt LaFleur not respecting his boss like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. you know, sometimes sure. you need a little bit of recalcitrance in your attitude. And well, I got to meet Mark Brunel. You did. That was another good. We got that photo as well. You got that photo, right? Didn't Rick send it to you? It's on, uh, yeah, Rick has it. You oh. let, Mar- you let uh, Mark Brunel walk past you twice. The first time you didn't even notice him. I was mid-conversation. Yeah. Let and me just, send this to Tyler. Your, your hero walked right by you. And I was like, how did you just let that happen? And as soon as you realized it was, it was Mark Brunel, you like ran after him. And then yeah. you lost him because he disappeared in the bathroom or something. My, uh, Josh Norris, Hayden Winks, we're, we're in the middle of conversation with yeah. them. I apologize because I know, I know Josh listens to us sometimes. I apologize. I left you guys mid-conversation. Not that you guys care. Right. You were on to the next thing anyway. Yeah. But I left mid-conversation to go track down Brunel. Then I got really nervous. Right. Well, then like five minutes later, you still hadn't resurfaced. So I thought you were stalking Brunel wherever he'd gone. I went to find you, find you just standing there in the hallway with no Mark Brunel. And then he emerged from the bathroom from behind you. 
again, walked right by you and you just like tightened up and was like, can't talk to anybody. Can't do it. And then Rick, being the superhero that he is, saw, did you see Mark Brunel is there? Mark was busy. And then immediately just drags you to take a photograph with Mark Brunel. Like Rick was the facilitator here. Without that, you got nothing. I can't find the photo. Um, but the important point, we tweeted it out somewhere, I think. The important point here is that Mark Brunel was an NFL quarterback and a good one for quite a period of time, and you made him look like a child. Yeah. I just would like to submit that for evidence that I am not five foot two. You're just that freaking huge. I make everybody, oh, I see what you're saying. But my, Mark's old. He's probably shrunk a little bit. <laughs> my week at the Combine is at least 30% people going, oh, wow, you're not, you know, you're not this tall. <laughs> yes, I know that. That's him. That's the effect you have so on Everybody people. thinks you're 5'7 because of... Uh, no, everyone thinks I'm like 5'2. Five 5'2. Two. Five two. And then they realize it's just you. They ran into somebody that's actually 5'2. It's pretty drastic. There's quite a lot of those people in, in Indy. There's yeah. a lot of really tall people. Hey, there you go. There's Brunel. See? Look, it's me and Mark. Look at that. It's ridiculous. He is so upset right there. <laughs> he didn't. Like, I don't I'm, just, the I'm just trying to meet somebody for dinner right. and make this happen quickly. I was like, Mark, do you remember that play yeah. in the 96 like, playoffs when you leaped over the guy and scored and, and picked up an extra 10 yards? Like, okay, Brunel was, was never cool. the tallest human in the world, but six the man's 6'1, yeah. 214. Right. The man's six foot one, and you make him look like a, a small. Next to 7'1, 314. Yeah. Give or take. All right, let's get back. Let's get back on track here. What were we talking about? The kids are faster these days. Oh, I see. Yes. So there's a few things that go into it. Yeah. I, I, shot of that. I really think just not being sleep deprived, right? I mean, when you're talking about being at the pinnacle of your athletic performance, sleep is huge, right? Like, we, sleep is just important I mean, for your job. I mean, we talking about the effect of the combine, right? You saw what it did to the whoop band, the recovery. Yeah. If you're like day if you two don't of interviews, sleep, 5 a.m., you know, wake up call for medicals and you're stuff. You're in trouble. Um, so the receivers kicked it off with some impressive times. Um, we saw Aiden Hutchinson have a great workout with short arms. We saw Christian Watson, the receiver from North Dakota State. You want to just highlight? Let's just highlight some of these players and what it means. Okay. Um, before we do that, though, reminder that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's, I want to discuss some of the big names here. Big names. Can I start with my guy first? Go for it. Calvin Austin. Calvin Austin Little the names. third. Yeah. Um, he's the guy that we've been talking up here as a potential mid-round speedster, a guy that just wins, was dominant in the senior bowl, all these kinds of things. So... The first thing that happens is you get the weigh-ins, right? You get the official size measurements. And that's where it wasn't great for Calvin, right? Five foot eight, 170 pounds, 30-inch arms. By the way, he's got Calvin Austin is five foot eight, and Aiden Hutchinson is six foot seven, and there's like two inches difference between their arms. Like, what is up with that? Uh, nine and a quarter inch hands, so you know, bigger than Kenny Pickett. Um, those aren't great numbers, you know? You're looking at a guy like that and you're like, <laughs> There's a limited history of success of that size. If you're going to be that size, you need to have freakish workout numbers. And he did. So 4-3-2, really fast, 39-inch vertical. 39-inch um, vertical for a guy that small. 135-inch broad jump, which was like, what, 11 foot 3 or something? Like, he's jumping 11 foot 3 horizontally, and he's 5 foot 8 in height. 
6653 cone, really fast, 407 short shuttle. So all the numbers for Calvin Austin were good. I mean, that's what you see on tape. You saw it in the workouts as well. He just moves with that lightning quickness. Like, again, I've told this story before. You see these people show up at training, and they're really small. You're like, that guy must be fast as hell. Otherwise, there's literally no purpose to him in this practice. Calvin Austin's got that. Really small, but moves you know, like a jitterbug. He is. So awesome. what does he look like at the NFL level for you? Where, where does he fit in based off what you've seen? So, I mean, obviously when you have that kind of speed and size, you get pegged as a slot receiver only. But he reminds me a little bit of Santana Moss, but smaller, right? And it's not like Santana Moss was big, but specifically slighter. Like Santana Moss was pretty put together. Like he was, he had some girth to him despite being short, and he was still, I think, 5'10 or 5'11. Like, he wasn't really short. Um, so if you just, like, a mini, a mini Santana Moss. And that's great. Like, those guys survive on the outside, right? As long as you can defeat press coverage, just the quickness you have makes it difficult to get hands on you. And you've seen that at the Senior Bowl. You've seen that in, in his college tape as well. It's not as easy to press a guy like that as you would think, you know, just by being bigger. The mic's officially fallen all as, as far as it can go. Well, then there's no need to worry any further. I'm not going to touch it anymore. Okay. The, um, Austin's currently number 110 on the PFF draft board. Yeah. Uh, Renner's, Renner's reshaking the board this Post week. combine, right? Yeah. I think, I think he's going to move up. Yeah. The other guy, the other receiver is Christian Watson, who's at 104. And he's being rumored to go in the first round. We had like a Calvin Johnson-esque workout. He did. Um, so part of, part of what I want to do here is kind of like look at how guys worked out and what that looks like historically. But Christian Watson, uh, pull up his numbers really quick. 6'4", 208 pounds. By the way, also only 32.5-inch arms. Um, 4'3'6", 40, so that's Megatron-esque. 38.5-inch vertical, 136-inch broad, which if Calvin Austin's was 11'3", that makes that 11'6". So those are pretty spectacular numbers at that size. And so there's not a whole lot of 6'4", Wide receivers historically that that ran sub four uh, four four, Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss. I mean, there's a few others that weren't weren't as good, but it's not a huge list. And I'm yeah. trying to get my list to load here so I can see it, so <laughs> I can also, read off some of the other names. The list of people that tall and that light is also pretty small. Like it's not generally a body type that makes it this far, uh, because people thought for a while that Drake London was gonna fit that category and then London comes in like 10 pounds heavier just so it's not an issue but this sort of six foot four under 210 pounds thing is not a usual body type right and you know so with um with Watson who had a really good senior ball I so here's what here's my question with the receivers there's speed receivers all over the place Uh there's we haven't even talked about Amari Cooper being on the trading block right Brandon Cooks is on the trading block there's a slew of receivers that just ran fast. There's a, a few in free agency, both high-end and, you know, complementary pieces. How do, how do you handle receiver in today's NFL? There is a plethora of receivers, and I think having four of them is extremely valuable in today's NFL. Also, by the way, do we need to talk about how Chris Olave got hosed by the unofficial guy, the timer? What's his name? Mark Ross. So this is the first year that it wasn't Charlie Cassidy doing it. You know that ridiculous picture you see every combine of Charlie, like, you know? Yeah. Well, first year he's not doing it. So Mark Ross is the guy on the unofficial clock, which they need for the TV, right? Um, 
apparently day one, <laughs> Mark was a little bit quick on the trigger, trigger finger. And you had all these guys running these absurd times, including Chris Olave, who people thought would run fast, and then post an unofficial 426. So if you're Chris Olave and you're like, wow, 426, I'm done. Like, that's the, the proverbial Deion Sanders thing, right? Where he runs his 40 and just carries on running down the tunnel, gets in a cab and bails, right? I don't need to show anything more. I'm done. Olave essentially thought that once he saw 426, didn't run a second 40, and then the official time comes out, and it's 439, right? Which is still fast, but it's not. You go from, like, otherworldly fast to, wow, we knew this guy was quick, but, oh, my God, he's the fastest receiver at the combine, to, I mean, that's, that's nice, but like, we don't, like, that's not, if anything, it's slower than we thought you'd run. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the unofficial time was. It does if it stopped him running his second 40. What if he can oh, run 426 yeah. and he didn't because he but decided that's, not that's to run the second That's their own fault. Time. Because I mean, it's not really. It's your own fault because if you run 439, nobody, like you, that's, that's being unprepared. That's, that's a lot of fault. that being unprepared? Because they take your best time. Right. Nobody cares about your... But if your best slurs. time, but if you thought you ran a 426 and you know that's quick for you, you don't want to run the second one. Yes, but you also know that these are unofficial times. That's your own fault. Yeah, but the that's a lack of awareness. But the unofficial that's like time. Only, that's like thinking, uh, that's like forgetting that it's two feet in bounds in the NFL. But the unofficial time shouldn't be like a tenth and a half off. Yeah, well, it is sometimes. Apparently. People still believe that Taylor Mays ran like a 425 or whatever because he ran it. It was unofficial. They raved about it for like an hour on the combine. And it was like, oh, it's right. actually 441. But then like day two. It went the other way. Evidently, Mark Ross had been told to like slow it the hell down, so that if you're gonna if you're gonna get it wrong, <clears throat> err on the side of being you know being yeah. too slow. Maybe he was using his thumb, <coughs> which is unacceptable. Maybe. So all these running backs on day two, it's like you know unofficial four five, and then they all ended up in the four three. It's somewhere. your own fault because it's unofficial. You should be prepared to know that unofficial times are unofficial, and you just run two. It's not going to hurt you to run a second one. It could be four seven. It, it doesn't can. matter. They would have been like, "Well, your best time is four two six. That's what you are." It you could, could have jogged hurt. it like Tyreek. I mean, it could hurt if it you run a four two six, and then your second one is four four. And people thought you were a four four to begin with. They're basically going to toss out the four two six. But the official time is going to be official no matter what it is, and teams always take the best time anyway. But they're not going to take. That's what goes into their system. They're not going to take the best time if it's like an. Outlier. That's what they do by default. They take the best time. They like they all get together in their little scouting conclave, and they're like, "What did you get? What did you get? What did you get?" And you come up with like a composite number. I mean, if they're doing it all by hand and taking those times, I mean, that's that's their own problem. But that's a whole different. Well, you issue. have to do it by hand to a degree. You have to know that the unofficial time is not official. But like, but so everyone keeps keeps talking about this idea of like the concept that this is being done by stopwatches in the year 2022 is madness, right? But the, you can't. Listen, they you cl- need to start because, the clock it's at some because point. sometimes the automated system doesn't work. No, 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 but the automated system only works, it finishes it, right? When you break a laser or whatever at the end, you can stop the clock. But there needs to be something that starts the clock on the other end, which is arbitrary. Because what, what constitutes you starting your 40, right? Is it the second your hand twitches? Is it the first movement of the trunk of your body? Is your head bobbing up? And You know what I mean? You can't just be like, well, the laser is going to start the second you make any form of movement. Because that, would someone, add, that would add, if, if it did, if, the, if it was a laser start, that would add like 0.2 to everybody's 40. 
Yeah. Because it would be that's first, my point. first movie. So when we're saying, like, oh, it's ridiculous that this is still hand-timed in the, in the year 2022, that's why. It's because you, you still need somebody to press the button to start the clock for the laser to then stop it at the other end. Unless you're going to put everybody in blocks, which, to be honest, would not be a bad idea. To give you some, like, actual feedback of when the guy starts moving. Maybe. Then you need somebody to start it. That's why it ha- That's why... A, there's an unofficial time, and B, why there's still a stopwatch involved in, in the, the the official one. I got you. So I, yeah, I mean, Alave should have run a second time. But that was a whole like we did a there was a 12 hour like mini story on Alave. It was all of a sudden, oh my god, he just ran four two six, and then it was like, wait, settle down, settle down. This is the thing Steve says. Don't double count it. We already thought Alave would run faster than Garrett Wilson. Don't flip them. In Turns your out order. they were about the same. Right. I was, so then I was wrong. Everybody's sort of saying, faster. you've got a group of people saying, well, Alave's now ahead of Garrett Wilson again. And the other group of people, like the, the, the backlash to that of saying, look, we already thought he'd run faster. Don't double count that and jump him in your rankings just because you've seen the proof. And then, like, 12 hours later, it was like, oh, well, forget all of that. They were the same time. I want to circle back to Christian Watson really quick. At six foot four, running sub 4'4", four four, uh, in the PFF era, back to 2006, who do we have? Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss. Those are the big names. So those are the ones you're going to hear. Um, I didn't put his vertical in there, though. That does parse it a little bit more. You also have Matt Jones from the Jaguars, who was 6'6", six, six, and ran 4.37. He ran the slowest 4.37 I've ever seen. Well, it's not, it, the second 20 was really fast. It's just the first 20 was yeah. like... Matt know. Jones, the football player. Look, before he had drug issues, Matt Jones, the former Arkansas quarterback turned receiver, became a very good possession receiver. I mean, he was just a big-bodied... He could run slants and posts and use his body. He never showed the 437 speed on the field it just never played well it's because it's it was all build-up speed it was like constant and pure torque that just kept on pulling right and the longer he ran the faster he would go but most receiving work is done in the first 20 not the second 20 um here's a name you'll probably forget ran that fast in a minute but uh dj chark is on this list drew carter malcolm jenkins ohio Hmm. state falcons do you, I don't remember him being that fast, running sub 4-4. I mean, I remember him having long speed, but yeah, that's... Terrell Pryor. Terrell Pryor. It's on the list. Fast. Chaz Schillens. Free agent Marcos Valdez-Scantling. Mm. There you go. Stephen Hill, the Jets second God, rounder, yeah. and then Tommy Streeter. So those are the players that we have in our database since 2006. 6-4, sub 4-4, obviously a mix of players there, but... Um, yeah, that's a huge – I mean, that's just a huge time. Yeah, I mean, he, he absolutely changed some perceptions. Christian Watson, him. by the way. Just sorry to right. not those, use just uh, – get, get a remind of the name. With those numbers. Uh, another guy who I think potentially altered his draft status with his workouts, uh, Sky Moore, who's a big PFF guy, higher on PFF sports, and a lot of people, wide receiver from Western Michigan, clocked in with a four four one. And if you sort of read scouting reports on Sky Moore pre-combine, it's a lot of talk about how, you know, he's really smooth, he gets open, he's successful. Quicker he's not, than fast. Yeah, and he's not, right. he's not a great athlete, right? And then he shows up here, you know, 4'4 four, four flat, essentially, 34-and-a-half-inch vertical, uh, three, uh, seven, almost just a bit over seven seconds, three-cone, 4'3", three, like it's not... 
the numbers were good, you know, better than I think people thought they would be for Sky Moore. And then he shows up at the, like, just the workouts and stuff and the route running stuff and all that's great. So if your concern for Sky Moore was that he's not that fast, he's, you know, maybe not good enough to get it done at the next level when the athletes are better, the numbers don't back that up based off his combine. There were going to be some good receivers selected day two. Yeah, I mean, Sky Moore essentially ran the same 40 time as Chris Olave, and I don't think there's this human being on the planet would have bet money on that before the combine. All right, before we get into uh, Jordan Davis in the Planet Theory, can I get a round of applause, everyone? Today, we once again announce Manscaped launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. It's an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man Covers your whole body, man. That's what you need. It's trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. That's Manscaped. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PFF. Here's the recommended order. Number one, hop in the shower, scrub a dub dub that body with the Manscaped body wash. Number two, lather your hair up with the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to keep your noggin togging. Number three, dry off and spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Number four, put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. And then number five, you could pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one's out here kissing those chapped lips. Hmm. So you got five, you got the order, five straight things you could do with the Manscaped Ultra Premium Collection. Getting dressed after that's optional. Wear one great scent all day long, unless you're going to work. We're close to work. Unless you're working from home, you can pull that off. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. At manscaped.com. It's 20% off plus free shipping. Promo code's PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle, thanks to Manscaped. Can we get, you know, those uh, quote graphics we have for, like, social media and stuff? Can I just get where close to work dash Steve Palazzolo set up for the, the PFF podcast and we can tweet that one out? That'd and then be great. cut off the part where I said, unless you're working from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just where close to work, Steve Palazzolo. It's, it's the important life lessons you learn. Can we get the social media team on this, please? Mm-hmm. Um, before we leave wide receivers, we oh, need, we need yeah. to hit Traylon Burks a little bit. Um, so Burks comes out and runs a 4-5-5 official. 33-inch um, vertical. Broad jump wasn't great. Three-cone wasn't great. Everything he did, essentially, wasn't great. Um, officially, and this started, like, so he was supposed to have, like, he, he himself claimed that he has to get, like, special giant gloves because his hands are so huge. And then his hands measure... Nine and seven eighths inches, which is, you know, fine, but it's not, you know, I need to order extra special gloves because my hands are so huge. Does he just have long fingers, maybe? I think he might have the problem I have, which is the palms are bigger than the fingers, so you need to order the gloves that fit the palms, otherwise the fingers don't fit. They're measuring from pinky to thumb. Yes. Right? Right. And if you're just... Your hands, by the way, still would break the combine record. Somebody yeah. tied it this year with like nine, or was it uh, 11 and th- seven eighths? DeForest Buckner? It was up in DeForest Buckner. That's where, he, that's where Buckner was. Somebody, yeah. I think, got to 11 and a half this year. You still have the foot long hands, which is yeah. freakish. It's part of the combine breakdown if we, uh, if we win. But my point being, if you're, wearing, if you're getting gloves, you need gloves. In order to jam your palm into the gloves, they need to fit a certain size, right? And if your fingers are smaller than that, you're just going to have this air of empty space up here. It's a problem I've dealt with a lot, Steve. And if yeah. Burks has that issue on a larger scale, he's going to need bigger gloves than his fingers fit. Well, it's kind of like me. I need. I have. A, I have a tall body, so I need to find like XL tall. I can't use double, triple XL stuff because I'm not that wide. Yeah. But it's got to have 
the length. You know, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. So Traylon Burks officially 15th percentile hands. Yeah. But if he's looking for those custom gloves, maybe it's not a big deal. Anyway, the point is, his hands are smaller than he claimed they were. He was 6'2", 225. You know, the, and then every, every workout I mean, number was good, not great. Not four, even five, good, not five is okay. not bad at, at that size. No, and that's the thing, right? Is when you, so when you factor in the fact that he's 225 pounds, he ends up with workout numbers that are basically the same as A.J. Brown, who was a guy a lot of people were comparing him to anyway. It's just, it's just given expectations. This is one of those things that's, that's where the combine gets tricky is when you literally just put it into a, into a database – and it's like, oh, look, he's, he's A.J. Brown, physically, right? It makes sense. It's fine. But the expectations for Burks were when you throw on his tape, like if that guy finds a crease, he's gone. He's just, there's so many plays where he's just flying past everybody. And you were kind of expecting he's going to run fast. Like maybe he won't get into the four threes. But we were sort of setting over-unders on the table at Radio Row, and it was like four, four, five. So you're taking a tenth off that was his over-under, and a lot of people were taking the under. This is where I do wonder, because the game speed for Traylon Burks at Arkansas did look faster. Yeah. And I wonder if you did have that data. This is one of those examples that would trump the combine. I wonder two things. Yes, one, when you weigh 225 pounds, does putting shoulder pads and a helmet on you make less of an impact than it does when you put that on Calvin Austin? Because those are essentially hmm. within a margin of within an order of magnitude, those pads and helmet weigh the same, right? For either one of those guys, obviously, Burks is going to have bigger pads, so it's not quite. But you know what I mean? Like you're adding a few pounds, whatever, of weight and awkwardness to each of those guys. But the percentage that's adding on to their body weight when you're trailing Burks versus Calvin Austin is significantly different. So does he just carry the equipment and stuff better? And when you get to the game, he's actually way faster than he is in shorts and a t-shirt the other thing is so that's fair he he was noticeably what's the best word to use chunkier than every other wide receiver that was running drills and routes and stuff now look it's not like you and me chunky you know he's not obviously carrying some extra fat poundage around the midriff but he was definitely like he's not as lean as these other guys like he is He's thick. He's heavier. And it's obvious when you're watching him. So I don't, and you know, when Austin Gale was on our podcast, he was telling us that when they interviewed Traylon Burks, he had these stories about how they used to kind of, you know, his teammates used to mock him a little bit and call him whatever it was, pudgy or, you know, there was, he was carrying extra weight at a time, worked on it getting down. Now, did that creep back in? You know, is he carrying more weight than he should be potentially? Are we looking at a guy who actually, he may have weighed in at 225, but maybe he should be weighing in at 215 and all of a sudden looking way That's faster. That's a problem because you're, you're training to weigh in where you want to. It's a problem if case. it's real, right? But I don't know if that's real. Like, is that – am I extrapolating a couple, of, a couple of data points that aren't necessarily connected yeah. and joining the dots and coming up with something that's wrong? We'll have more on Traylon Burks, but I don't know if that's going to affect his first-round status with everybody else blazing and, right. um, again, the – just the plethora of receivers around the right. league. My only point with all that is all these guys helping themselves, you know, with their workout numbers and their times, he was a guy that didn't. And if anything, went the other way. What do you think that time is from? Seven, it's like eight. four minutes off in mountain time. Yeah, who knows? It's not helpful. I don't, it's not a time, is it? It's just a timer. Is it? I okay. have no idea. Anyway, uh, let's talk Jordan Davis. Okay. Bill, Par- Bill Parcells, Planet Theory. 
There's only so many people on the planet. Or there's no people on the planet. I think Jordan Davis resembles that. From, from seeing these people in person and at the podiums and all those kinds of things, we need a way of some sort of one-on-one just sumo battle between Jordan Davis and Daniel Faalele. I need, I need to see the two of them, like, battle it out, you know, in just a one-on-one, like, wrestling match. Yeah. Because those are two huge human beings. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's go. Um, so Davis is listed as 6'6", 340. Yeah. This is one of those times where it's pretty much nailed it. 6'6", 341 at the combine. Which was down, he was saying that's down on his playing weight. Like he was up in the 350s. Really? Slimmed down to 341 for the combine weigh and said he wants to play, I think, at 335 or something like that. Like that's what he's working towards. Same. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, an absolutely monstrous. 34-inch arms. That's 80th percentile. Hand size, 96th percentile. The 40-yard dash, 4.78. Now, that's 94th percentile for all interior defensive linemen, <laughs> including guys that probably weighed in at 280 yeah. in our database, right? I mean, Aaron Donald, right? Aaron Donald weighed in, like, what, 286 or something, around yeah. a 4.6. It's only two-tenths different. Like, that's 60 pounds yes. he's carrying on top of Aaron Donald's weight. A 32-inch vertical, which, by the way, that's my record. 32-inch vertical, <laughs> 77th percentile. What were you weighing in at when you did that? 277. Okay. I had a 32-inch vertical at two, uh, probably 275, I would say. Uh, broad jump, this is the one, 10 feet, 3 inches. That's 98th percentile. And the broad jump and then the 40 are records for 300-pounders or four, I mean, 340-pounders uh, uh, certainly. No, but 300. For 300 Anybody pounders. over 300 pounds, that's a record. So figuring out what do you do with this? Because when guys work out like this, this is, the mo- this is the most recent data point. And all these data points matter. Jordan Davis, the debate a week ago, is whether or not he's worth it in the first round as a run-stopping defensive tackle. He's a very good run-stopper. He's tough to move at 340 pounds. And obviously he moves well and can finish plays and do all that stuff. Never rush the passer effectively at Georgia. And... Now I feel like the debate's going to be, is he worth a top 10 pick? Like, is some team going to look at this and say he's going in the top 10? Give me that guy. I'll figure it out as a pass rusher. But this, is a, this is one of the – there's probably three or four guys that put together maybe the most impressive combine of all time, mm. which is insane. But it's true. It so really is. What do you make of Jordan Davis coming out of this thing? So, and I'll give, you, I'll give you some player comps as far as what the workout looks like. So, number one um, – when he was on the podium before the workouts and stuff, he, everybody, so we're standing at a lot of these podiums, right? And the standard of questions that is being asked of these people is pitiful, generally, right? There's some people asking some smart things or some people asking some You're things. just so on brand here. They're just so bad. Look, I'm, if I'm hauling my, be- my ass out of bed to get to this 8 a.m. podium and you roll in there and you're like, so, okay, a lot of them are like, have you met with Team X? And I, I understand these are beat writers. They kind of have to ask that kind of crap, right? It feels like we could short-circuit that by saying, look, send these guys out and tell them the first thing they have to tell everybody is the teams they've met with and just short, shortcut that whole thing, right? But then you have people like asking just, what do you make of, you know, Team X? You're like, what? Wait, what are we doing here? We have like 10 questions to ask this guy, and you are pissing one away on that Banality. Did, Stop did it. Anyone ask their New Year's resolutions? No, thankfully. So one of the things that got asked to a lot of people was, you know, who are the players in the NFL that you model your game after? And 
every defensive lineman is like, well, Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt because, you know. Right. That's who you model. Right. Yeah. So Jordan Davis was like, well, Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt are obviously two of the, the monsters, but me, I, you might not even remember this guy, but I've been studying John Henderson. Like, yes, good work, sir. Now, A, John Henderson is the guy that Renner's comped him to in right. the draft guide, well done, which is Renner. amazing. But B, how he even knows that John Henderson exists. This guy is, what, how, he's Huge 21? Win. How old is he? Huge win for right. Jordan Davis. And he knows, now, A, John <clears throat> Henderson exists. B, that he actually isn't a bad comp for John Henderson. That's a pretty good guy to be it is, studying. It is a good comp. It, the, um, it's a bit of a slap in the face, though. Stop. Stop it. Former Georgia Bulldog, Marcus Stroud. Is that where I was going? No, I thought that it's not, that wasn't a pun. No, it was. Because the most famous thing for John that. Henderson is I know the, slap the guy in the slapping face. him in the face. I caught that out. He did that by accident. It was a slap in the face. A John Henderson slap in the face to Marcus Stroud. Okay. Former Georgia Bulldog. But uh, Stroud was a little bit more up the field, yeah. penetrator, whereas John Henderson. No, no Henderson's was a, a better comp. The, oh, Henderson is. Absolutely a great comp. Henderson went like eighth. Or something. He was in the top ten. Yeah, but it was a different time. Right. And the funny, I can't remember what Henderson weighed, but it like wasn't. It was like high three thirties. I think it was. I don't think he's the same size as as Jordan Davis. Might We might have him in our Um, database here. One of my favorite things is you know that guy on Twitter, Math Bomb six seven three thirty five. You know Kent Lee Platt or whatever his name is. So he does this this composite athleticism and size score, RAS RAS. I assume people shorten it to, which I'm going to, whether or not you're supposed to. Um, And one of the things you can do on that is to swap by positions, right? So obviously Jordan Davis has like the highest RAS ever recorded for a defensive tackle because it factors size into this stuff. But you can also see what it would be like if you made him a different position. So if you made Jordan Davis a defensive end, not a defensive tackle – he still has one of the greatest rat scores of all time, even factoring in the fact that now you're talking about guys that weigh 220 and can run a 4-4, right? He still has one of the best uh, rat scores ever based on that size. Even if you make him a linebacker, like an off-the-ball linebacker, it isn't the worst score in the world. But now, it's still like adjusting for the fact that he's 340. Yes. Now the, the kind of the, the measurement times, the speed times – start to get bad when you make him a linebacker. But the point is, right, you're talking about a dude that's 6'6", 340, had one of the greatest workouts you're ever going to see of any position ever. And the thing that it does is it at least eliminates the question of can he physically rush the passer, right? There are players where you look at them and you say, that guy, as great a run defender as he is, he really physically doesn't have the tools to Let me, be a good pass rusher at the next level. That's said, not an option for Jordan Davis. So you said he's working on it. Yes. Right? He, he now, himself, not to overrate the fact that players are like, hey, I've got this weakness. I'm working on it. I'll be better at it. People, players have been saying that for years. Explain where, he's, where he is, and I'm, I'm, and I'm going to come back with what I think could change these evaluations going forward. So he himself said that – he basically admitted that, look, I'm, I'm – being pigeonholed as this run defender, and it's it's not the most inaccurate thing in the world, but I'm working on it. I'm uh, he's working with a guy called Chuck Smith, right. whose nickname is Doctor Rush. Now, just judging by Chuck's Twitter profile here, there's a degree of self promotion involved in Chuck that I think he's pretty good at. Um, That's the, what these guys have to do. Well, his his bio is football's foremost expert in the art of pass rush. Uh, nicknamed Dr. Rush, and just from this Twitter bio, I'm going to go ahead and say he created that nickname as opposed to one that was given to him. Um, his his uh, cover picture, 
is you want sacks? Question mark. I got you covered. Hashtag Dr. Rush. See, if he was really sound, he should say, do you want PFF pass rush grade since it's True. more stable and more effective True. for your future team? It's less catchy, though. It um, is. Anyway, he's working with Dr. Rush, who is a guy who's, you know, like those QB guru types. Sure. He's the guy for pass rush. There you go. Look. Um, and that's a good thing, right? He's trying to balance that out and trying to become as good a pass rusher as he is a run defender. And again, those workout numbers say there's no reason that can't happen. Right, and this is why a team's going to look at this and say, give me the raw clay, even though he didn't do it at Georgia. But between Dr. Rush and the offseason, what we're going to teach him, we'll get him to rush the passer. We'll make him effective on 600 snaps instead of 400 snaps. You could talk yourself into Jordan Davis in the top 10. Yeah, so he has 30 total pressures in four seasons. But those four seasons amount to a total of 1,127 snaps and 603 pass rushes. So that would be... I mean, that's basically the same number of snaps as Aaron Donald played this year when you factor right. in the playoffs, right? You're and talking about a full season and a bit of pass for, of play. So I just want to explain. I think, I think the NFL, historically, they, they always start with a baseline of something, yeah. right? And a lot of teams start with a baseline of height, weight, speed, right? Do you fit this criteria of whatever we're looking for at a, very, at a position? And if you do, okay, we'll, we'll dig in further into you as a player. I think a lot of what we've done at PFF has started with a baseline of production. And if, in, in does production historically translate? And it, on the interior of the defensive line, it translates really well. Yeah. And if you don't fit that baseline, okay, how are we going to, you know, how does that move you up and down, right? Do we want to inherit and incur that risk of a guy who's not terribly productive and take him in the first round? I think the thing that could be changing the game, and I think we have to look into this further. Do our personal coaches better than ever? Yeah. Right. So Duke Mannyweather does a really good job with uh, OL masterminds and taking a guy like Makai Becton, who had all the physical tools. He's another planet theory guy, right? Running whatever he ran at 360 pounds, right? Incredible combine, who had work to do coming out of college, and has improved. You know, health has been an issue. He's had some injuries, but when on the field, Makai Becton has improved upon some of the production concerns I think we had coming out of college. If, if, can you take those chances more now? And this happened in baseball. This happened in other sports. In baseball, guys are throwing harder than ever because they found, like, really good sports science, right? There's sports, sports science is taking these massive leaps in other sports, whereas in football, I think there's a little bit of that. That's why we see faster times. But it's also technique work, and, and you put it all together, and maybe you can project more for players than you could in the past. And what I'm saying is maybe we could do we do we put a little less stock in Jordan Davis's lack of production from a pass rush standpoint because that's a gap that can be bridged better than ever. Yeah, I mean I think the overall point would be is taking a raw prospect with freakish athletics athletic tools and physical gifts are you better doing that now than you were in the past? Because not because you have a greater capacity to develop him, but because personal coaches have a bigger role now than they ever have before. And just simply the time dedicated. If that guy wants to work at it, there's a massive amount that he can improve individually before he gets anywhere near your building or completely independent of your building. So the time that you lose now in today's world of collective bargaining agreement and limited practice time and all that kind of stuff – the, the developmental time that you lose there, you can gain back and then some 
you know, on, indiv- on an individual basis with a personal coach. I think there's definitely something to that. And in particular, outside of quarterback, because I think quarterback is one of those positions where you really do need live reps, right? And you can change some things and you can improve technique and blah, blah, blah. But until the bullets start flying, you don't really know if that's going to work. Whereas defensive line, cornerback, receiver, there's a, like, I think you can do a lot more outside of a team structure on an individual coaching basis than you can with, with quarterbacks. Um, so I'm, I'm, I like that argument. I think there's something to that. My question would be for Jordan Davis specifically, right? Everybody's going to focus on the pass rush and the relative lack of it. 30 pressures in four years really didn't ever make an impact there. And, you know, the obvious counter to that is, well, Georgia, I mean, look at the Georgia workouts, right? They had a ton of these guys. They were rotating in. There wasn't an awful lot. Like, everybody was uh, being spared, so they had the best pass rushers on the field. The best pass rusher wasn't Jordan Davis. So he didn't play that much. Now, number one, there's 600 pass rushes there, and he had 30 pressures. So that's quite a lot of pass rushes without a lot of pressure. Number two, my bigger question is, why was he not amazing in the run game? Like this he is was, the one he was thing. Very good. Yeah, but, not but unstoppable. Like, look, what we've just seen is a man mountain of a human being, right? A six foot six dude that played at three fifty, who it turns out is the most athletic defensive tackle that's ever walked the earth. Why did that guy not have a run grade of ninety five every single year? And you simply couldn't run the ball anywhere near him when he was on the field. He was good, but not great against the run every single year of his career. I, my bigger question is, why did that guy not absolutely freaking dominate against the run? And then we can talk about the pass rush later on down the line. Why, I mean, is he simply not as good a player as he was an athlete? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, yeah, the PFF grades are, like you said, good, not great. I'm trying to see where they rank historically as that's going. Um, here are some comps historically. Guys, I just looked at guys that ran sub five. Okay, so I cut the sample here just to... Or I added more people to the sample. 340 pounders who ran under a five flat. There's like three of them. No, there's a few. Michael Pierce. Did Michael that. Pierce ran yeah. under five seconds. Great run defender from the Ravens and now uh, Vikings legend. Vita Vea from the Bucks. Dexter Lawrence from the Giants. I think Vita Vea, Dexter Lawrence are the two modern examples that you're looking at. These first round nose tackles. Both of those guys play a ton of snaps, rush the passer effectively, especially Vea. And play good run defense. Alan Branch did it. He's had a, he had a, he's had a nice career. Uh, Dontari Poe, mm-hmm. who we mentioned on the daily. Dontari Poe was 340 plus, broke sub five, and it was like wow, this dude was breaking the combine. The difference with Poe, he wasn't great at the explosive measures. He wasn't great. He didn't have great arm length. He didn't have all the other. Jordan Davis is great at all the other stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, Paul Soliai did had a really nice career as a run stopper for a while. Uh, T.J. Slayton, late-round pick for the Packers last year, who uh, played a little bit as a rookie. Dalen Mack did it, and then Casey Walker, so a couple other names. So there's not a huge list of names. I mean, if you parse down the 40 time, nobody's in that 478 range like Jordan Davis. So planet theory does apply. So you, I want to ask you, you being one of these people that tends to err on the side of, like, stick with what you already knew, don't, you know, overreact to combine numbers. You were a guy before this who was saying, and I was along with you, saying Jordan Davis might not be drafted in the first round. What did this do to that take? Because he's going to go higher, but that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is what did it do to your, te- your opinion of where he should be drafted? 
So I honestly think it, it depends on the team. So one of the, the debates online were about the Chargers a lot. I think a team like the Chargers that very specifically plays lighter boxes and relies on defensive tackles to play the run better, I'm okay with that. Like, I'd be okay with the Chargers at 17. I don't think Jordan Davis is for everybody because I also think Travis Jones coming out of UConn had a similar – like, I, you can get these guys. You can get an elite run stopper later. Um, just for perspective, here's what here's where Jordan Davis ranks from a production standpoint against – NFL prospects. The pass rush grade we talked about, sixth percentile. So this is out of, of a sample of 139 players that we have college data on who have gone on to the NFL. And he's 130th out of 139 in pass rush grade. He's 81st percentile in run defense grade, so it's still very good. Right. But And run stop percentage is 91st percentile. That number translates really highly to the NFL level. Okay, so listen. I'm more likely to talk myself into Jordan Davis in the first round because of what I said about working on the pass rush game or do I just trust my defensive line coach to say, look, like Vince Wilfork, like Vita Vea, you're just going to lean into some guards and push the pocket. You're just going to destroy that escape route and let my edges win. And if you have a Joey Bosa coming off the edge, I could see that. So I would take Jordan Davis. Mid to late first round. But that number, I think, is important. The idea that his run defense grade is, what did you say, 81st? 81st percentile. So 81st percentile. And that, like, that is literally the number that you are basing his his. You would hope it's 90 plus. On, you right? would hope it was high. Right. So, yeah. like, if you're telling me I'm going to draft this guy in the first round based off his run defense grade um, and the fact that he's an athletic freak, and we hope maybe down the line we can get some pass rush out of him. But, like, essentially, we're drafting this guy because of the special impact he can make in the run game, which has these ancillary benefits that are difficult to tease out right now, but we think are worth more than the sort of conventional wisdom dictates, right? If you're selling me on that, you better be telling me that this guy is, like, otherworldly against the run, and he isn't. Like, he's good. 81st percentile is very good, but it's not like... This changes everything we know about everything else. Like, it's so good that we're going to toss everything else out the window because if he's that dominant in this area, it will offset a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, yeah. that's my concern with Davis is if he's this freakish of an athlete, if he's that big, that strong, that explosive, that powerful, why was he not better against the run? No, it's a fair question. Um, I'm more likely to take him in the first. I'm sorry. Um, did I say, what did I say for UConn player? Travis Jones. Oh, okay. I thought I screwed up his name for a second. Because he, he had a great workout, too. And better. Oh, there, were, the there were a bunch of people that actually posted really great workouts, even at that position, who yeah. like, nobody is going to talk about because Davis set another worldly workout record. So, yeah, bottom line, I'm more likely to take Jordan Davis in the first round. And it definitely depends on the team and style and how you play. Though I'm really intrigued by taking someone else in the first round and maybe looking at Travis Jones in the second round. All right, who else do we have as far as uh, workouts we want to talk about? Do you want to talk Hutch? Sure. Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, disappointing arm length. Six foot seven, 32 more, and a half arms. It's more confusing. <laughs> How do you have arms that short at six foot seven? How was he not prepared? Why did he not study for the combine and get his arm length to where it needed to be? Yeah. You think he could massage that out? You would think. You were saying on the, the daily that we talked about that maybe there's a, you know, Joe Thomas had that famous thing. We talked about it, we talked yeah. about it on the podcast where... For years, Joe Thomas was like the poster boy of, hey, you can be an elite left tackle with really short arms because his measurement was like 32. And he was saying that like it was like a mismeasurement 
Um, yeah. Like they screwed it up, right? And then he went and had it done again. It was like 34 or something. So makes for a better story. Like though. maybe Hutchinson, you know, maybe he was tensing a, a trap or something and just tightened it all up and we got 32. Maybe he goes at the pro day. You know, I'm going to give you. Learns the proper technique of relaxing everything. And all of a sudden we're talking about a guy with 35 inch arms. I'll give you a historic look of edges because um, there are some former scouts out there saying we did studies. Um, so I've, I've heard from a lot of people. People, you know, so the people that talk about like, well, the NFL's old, you know, analytics and all that stuff. There's a lot of old school scouts and people that were in the NFL in the '90s and early 2000s. I mean, they studied a lot of stuff. I mean, that it's like, why wouldn't you? You, they studied the, you know, arm length and they studied a lot of this stuff. Now, I don't know how good the studies were back then, but uh, Greg Gabriel came out. He used to be the GM of the Bears. Um, I've talked to other people behind the scenes who are like, oh, we we studied this. But that was like 10 years ago at best, and, and things have changed. My problem with the studies are what are, you, what are you using as success? Are you using starts as success? There's noise there. So I think people have done studies forever, but the, how efficient they are, the studies, have gotten better now that there's math people doing them. My point, Greg Gabriel came out and said, hey, we studied it with the Bears. Arm length is a bigger indicator than blah, 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 everything else for edge defenders. So I looked up edge defenders with sub 32 and a half arms in the PFF era. Here are some names. Shaquille Barrett has the highest PFF grade among those with sub 30, 32 and a half inch arms. Very good player. Melvin Ingram. Very good player. Uh, Clay Matthews. Very good player. Brooks Reed. Decent player. Trey Hendrickson, Carl Lawson. Very good player. A couple guys that just made player. bank in free agency. How about Michael Johnson? Really? Michael How? Johnson. I got to look up his comp. So when you look at Hutchinson. That's another guy that like he he's, was he's six seven. Tall. I'm going to look up his, his numbers in a minute. Hutchinson's 98th percentile height, yeah. six foot seven. 13th percentile arm length, 32. To be Sorry, fair, he's 32 and an eighth. At least six inches of Michael Johnson's height were in his neck. So that probably changes the, the whole the distribution Glenn, a bit. The Glennon Davis Mills track. Yeah. Um, so like, there are some decent names, Yannick Ngakwe, Marcus Golden, Adrian Claiborne. I'm, these are, they're getting worse because I started with the highest grades. Um, <laughs> then you have guys at the bottom like Caleb Von Chason, yeah. uh, Larry English, failed first rounder, Kamalea Correa went in the second round, Bud Dupree. Bud. Bud's in this list here. Vic Beasley. Now the difference with those guys is they don't have a lot, like Vic Beasley, undersized, didn't really have the weight. And he was just a speed guy. I mean, there's reasons why some of these guys didn't do well. So my point is it's not, a, it's not a death sentence for Aiden Hutchinson to have short arms. But then you offset this by the fact that he, he ran fast. Vertical was high, 80th percentile. The 20-yard shuttle was 95th percentile, 4.15. Three-cone, 6.73. That's very good. 99th percentile. And another guy where arch. when you watch the drills, like when you watch the – you know, the bag work and the movement skills. I mean, he looked good. So then if you just look for, here are the edges. Let's look. Let's use the agility drills. Sub 6-8 cone. Sub 4-2 shuttle. So these are, you know, Hutch is, do I have to call him Hutch now? Is that, are we obligated by company? Aiden Hutchinson is very much in these buckets here. So, sub 4-8-40. So players with similar... Workout numbers on the edge. Vaughn Miller, TJ Watt, Bruce Irvin, Jason Trusnick also in there. But it's a short list highlighted by, you know, 
Von Miller and TJ Watt, two all-pro type players. So again, depends on how you parse out these workout numbers, what you think of them. It doesn't make sense that Hutchinson has short arms at six foot seven. No, not really. But um, I think the other workout numbers, you know, turning the edge and all that stuff, I think kind of get him. So a couple in other the people where he needs to be. A couple other people I think to talk about in terms of helping their draft stock, or you know, changing changing the uh, narrative a little bit overall. Um, Brees Hall. So really going to talk running backs here, huh? Yeah, yeah. For the first time in like three years. Um, Brees Hall, running back out of Iowa State, uh, 5'11", 217 pounds, like your sort of prototypical running back, size, strength, all those kinds of things, was a broken tackle machine at Iowa State, racked up an absolute ton of those things. And the one criticism about him was, eh, but is he a great athlete? You know, is he just a good, not great type of uh, player uh, in terms of those things, breakaway speed, all that kind of thing? Runs out here. 40-inch vertical jump, huge. Broad jump, 126 inches, also huge. Uh, ends up with a 4.39 official 40 time. And this was, remember, day two was the running back day where old Mark was slow on the trigger finger and lest he make the Olave mistake again. So I think that started off as like a 4.5 and then officially then, then officially 4.39. So all of a sudden, now you're looking at him and you're saying, well, what's the negative? So, and Mike Renner was making this point all the way through the week. Like, why are these running backs, um, him and, and Kenneth Walker from uh, the Michigan State, right? Why are these running backs this year not being talked about the same way last year's class were? Because all of a sudden, every box is being ticked, right? They are as athletic as that group a year ago. They, he, he's as productive. He's like, why are we not talking about these guys as first-rounders? Now, okay, look, the PFF thing complicates it. We'd never draft a running back in the first round. But why is the general consensus that these two running backs at the top of this group are not in the same echelon as Najee Harris, say, from last year? I, mean, I, I think it's Bama and Clemson. Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Versus Iowa State. Surely, like, the world, though, like the draft I think community. that was a factor, at least a factor in that. Etienne had been so productive – for a while, he was probably, I mean, if he went in the first round last year, he was going to be a fringe first rounder as a junior, comes back an extra year, goes in the first. But, like, but Walker is the Big Ten. Like the no, Big I know. Ten and Walker versus, was outstanding. Versus Clemson? Surely that's, you know. Well, maybe they will be now because they, if, you know, people didn't expect Breeze Hall to be uh, that type of player. But he does uh, 86th percentile in missed tackles forced per attempt. Right. Walker ends up with a 4.38, by the way. So. He was a little. He wasn't as good as the vertical. Um, well, maybe NFL teams will be intrigued, and they'll go in the first round now too. Yeah, and so Brees Hall in particular, I think, I think that changed the narrative, right? Because all of a sudden you're looking at a guy and you're saying, well, now he has the athleticism as well, and we didn't necessarily think that was true. So what is our? Where's the negative? Like, what's the what's the ne- what's the minus in his? What's the con column here? Because there's nothing left. Brees Hall's workout looks like what I expected Dalvin Cook to put up. 90th plus percentile vertical broad and 40. Now, Dalvin still plays fast on the field. He just didn't do it at the combine. What do you make of uh, Dalvin's brother? A little slighter, right? But isn't he just like Dalvin, but like on 90%? You know, when you like a, you make a, a print of something, and you yeah. adjust the size? Yeah. He's like, he literally the same type of player, including the same speed. He's just Dalvin, but like photocopied at 90%. But not as good as Dalvin, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I hope he is. He's on my dynasty team, so yeah. we hope we hope for James Cook to uh, well, that's the big thing. to excel. 
How about Tariq Woolen? Sure. UTSA. Another break the combine type of workout. Which uh, was expected, right? Which was expected. Um, interesting story. Our guy Doug Kide has a story about how he uh, became a corner. Uh, because, I mean, my, when I see a guy that's 6'4", runs a 4-2-6, 42-inch vertical and on stuff, I'm like, man, that's kind of a wasted corner. <laughs> Put him at receiver. But he was a receiver at UTSA. And in 2019, late in the year, he moves to cornerback. Had to train during the offseason at corner. He's still very young at the position. And so this is where, when you look at the data, it's not good. He did not have a good grade last year. He's never graded well. But when you add the context of he's only played corner for two years, and he was he, two years ago he was playing Madden, learning how to play cover four, which, by the way, Madden, I don't know if they've adjusted since. I love Madden, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if, they're, if, they have, if they have the right quarters rules in Madden. I think they have worked hard to make it work. But you're learning coverages from Madden. You're training at the position in the offseason. So where does Tariq Woolen go? Because the production's not great on the field. 6-4. That's 99th percentile for corners. 33 and 5 eighths inch arms. This must sound like gibberish when you're listening on the podcast, but I'm trying to add the percentile rank to get context. That's 98th percentile. That's like press man teams. This is built in a lab type cornerback stuff. Then you run a 4-2-6 and vertically jump 42 inches. These are all 98th percentile or higher. The 40-yard dash, 4-2-6, that's 100th percentile historically. You just don't see this type of player. What do you do with Tariq Woolen? Because I think you almost have to expect. So if you draft him in the first round, you have five years potentially of him. And I think you throw two of those years out and say, okay, what if we get nothing from him for two years? And then by year three, he peaks. And if you draft him in the first round, you get three years of production out of Woolen, hypothetically. But there's a lot of growth he needs to make to become a a good NFL player. But, man, only two years at corner. That growth potential is there. Held his own at the Senior Bowl. I don't know if he goes in the first round, but he's at least in that second-round conversation now with this crazy workout. Yeah, I mean, he he put out workout numbers that are basically as good as you're going to see at everything he did across the board. And he's got that freakish size and – you know, length and those kinds of things. His, you talk about the 40-yard dash, 4.26, obviously lightning fast. His 10-yard split was under one and a half seconds. That's insane. 1.48. That, that's madness. Like, that. not only is he insanely fast over a 40, but he's, like, lightning quick immediately. He's like right very out of the gate. quick. Bra- so, like breaking on the ball. I mean, I want to talk Kyle Hamilton in a minute because Hamilton looked really slow. It, so, to me, 10. this is, like, the equivalent of the... Jordan Mylata deal. Only you're not going to have the, the option to get him in the seventh round, right? It's like, what if I gave you the perfect offensive tackle mold? Like, what if I gave you this guy, we cre- yeah, create a player in Madden, right? We max everything up to 99. Yeah. This is the perfect player, but he's never played. Mylata is the exact thing I was thinking of. Right. No, now, now the, the he risk seven. of Mylata is round seven. He went right? the seventh. You take that because all day. He literally never played, right? Had never played the game. Right. And you gave the Eagles this opportunity and this guy still got drafted in the seventh round Tariq Woolen isn't quite the same thing because he's played he just hasn't played well yet but the same thing is true right it's like it's a Madden creative player where everything has been maxed up to 99 and we've got a little bit of play time and it's not been good what do you do with that now 
the fact that Mylata worked out, I think it's probably good for those types of players. And I think, as you said, that's becoming a bigger and bigger thing where you just take the freak and figure out if you can teach him to play later on. I'm, I'm always of the mind that the team, this is, I think, also one of the reasons why you want to draft in bulk, right? The, the Eagles with their three first rounders and all the teams that have multiple first rounders and a ton of um, just first and second round picks or day one and two picks, I think you're more likely to take the, these chances, or you should be. I think where it becomes risky is the team that has like five picks and one of right. them is on a project. I'm fine. Give me all of the projects. Give me all of the players that have something special, whether it's from a workout st- standpoint, whether it's from a production standpoint. Give me all those guys, right? You can handle guys that have question marks if you have more draft picks. And by the way, I wouldn't – so for a guy like Woolen, I wouldn't rule out the idea that down the line you move him back to receiver if it doesn't work out at corner. Like, yeah, and with those <clears throat> tools, with that athleticism, there's a role for him somewhere. I want to do, I want to quick, I want to talk about why speed might not be as important at corner than it is for receiver. But a uh, quick break to tell you about our friends over at All 22. We've been talking about them for a while. They're unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. We did this last year. Uh, it uses PFF grades. So All22 is using weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components to test your ability to build a full 53-man roster, including offensive line. This is like the dream for fantasy football here. If you've ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, this is it. You're going to love All22. So you can join the wait list. It's on all-22.com. Just put your email in there, all-22.com. If you join the waitlist before the NFL draft, that's coming up soon, you'll receive a special promo code for your All22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium contacts like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow at all22 underscore PFF on Twitter. That's all22 underscore PFF on Twitter. These guys are doing a great job. Built this thing from scratch with a vision that we had over 10 years ago, they're putting it into action using the PFF grades and all 22 positions, including positional value, every single week. All 22, less fantasy, more football. So a 4-2-6-40, like we see the impact of Tyree Kill. We see the impact of Henry Ruggs when he was out there. Even John Ross, once a year. Even John Ross. The 4-2-2 speed comes into play. That is just a far more important number for receivers, I think, than corners agree or disagree uh yeah like so blazing top end speed at receiver is always useful blazing top end speed at corner is not always useful i think that's the difference like we've talked before about how cornerback the speed the important speed thing is to be under a certain number not and under the to be faster than four six essentially how much faster than four six is bonus territory but the important part is you just can't be a, a, a level of slow. Whereas receiver, every, every increment you are faster than that number is only more useful, right? It makes you more difficult to cover and makes you more uh, dangerous when you are open. So that's the, that's the difference in the relationship. He didn't run a three-cone, no change of direction drills. He would have – would he be in that Trey Wayne's short shuttle higher than his 40? Potentially. Who knows? Possibly. I mean, he's very quick. He does a lot of good things. What about Kyle Hamilton? Top safety on the board. Consensus. A lot of people disappointed in his 40, coming in at 4.59. 
uh, ten yard split just looked it, the the number of the ten yard and the ten yard split did look bad, but it just uh, the start just looked off and right. a little clunky. Like to me, Hamilton may have run slow just because his technique wasn't great. Um, seven steps in your first ten, not great. You want to do it in five. Mm. That's the goal. I see. When I trained for the combine, that's how we did it. His other numbers are very good, though. Yeah, he's got explosion. Uh, some so, people are pulling out the Justin Simmons comp. Simmons ran a four six one. Simmons Bron- uh, Broncos safety was one of the league's best. Sub uh, seven second three cone broad jump was massive vertical at two hundred twenty pounds. That's the key, right? Broad jump was massive vertical leap of thirty eight inches and six four two twenty. Like this is again when you look at um, what we were saying for Traylon Burks, right? Two twenty five running a four five five at two twenty five is actually not bad. Running four five nine at two twenty is not bad. It's just that the expectations were better, and the difference between the two of them is that Kyle Hamilton was ex- outstanding at the explosive stuff and change of direction stuff. In so, arm length, ninety five yeah. percentile arm length that shows up. That's one of those things that shows up on the field. That's why he breaks up so many passes. All of his other numbers were spectacular, and maybe you can talk yourself into the idea. And maybe you know Notre Dame's pro day or whatever. He runs faster and shaves a tenth off that, and now we have a perfect workout. But it's definitely. Yeah, the, the 40 time wasn't great, but everything else was. Hamilton does have some ugly plays on tape, too. Like, he's not perfect. Like, he's got some ugly plays on tape or doesn't find the ball or whatever. But when we talk about he shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I think every plays, safety is going to have that. Of course, I know. I'm just saying, I have to put that as a caveat. You know? Also, by the way, if you watch his 40 time, the dude is weaving all over the lane. Yeah, it's, like not a, it's a technique thing, right? Whereas you watch Woolen, it's like, dude, looks like a track star. Like, he runs, he literally makes his way outside of the lane at one point and has to come back in. Uh, one of the other corners, circling back to corner here, that um, he might be cornerback one off the board now, Sauce Gardner. Yeah, so he was a guy we highlighted going into the, the combine, and we were saying, hey, somebody that could change the, the talk is Sauce Gardner. He's a guy who hasn't given up a touchdown his entire college career, has freakish size and length and all those kinds of things, but the question about him is, doesn't look that fast on tape. And if he comes out here and runs like a 4-4 flat, you're talking about a different player. So what does he do? Comes out here and basically runs a 4-4 flat, right? 4-4-1. So now all of a sudden you're talking about a dude who does tick all the boxes. The tape speaks for itself. It's fantastic. The 4-4-1 is different than people thought he was going to be. Still 6'3", 190 pounds, long arms. I mean... 98th percentile arm length, 33 and a half. And the 40-yard dash is 77th percentile at 4-4-1. So that's... More than good enough. When you have that type of length, height, length, and speed, with Derek Stingley not working out yet, the production issues about Stingley's last two years, the injury concerns with Stingley, there's already rumors that Stingley's going to fall into the teens or the 20s. And I think Gardner, with this workout, momentum's in his favor to be the top corner off the board, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, I think he was right there anyway, in terms of you being just with Stingley. Um, but this changes the dynamic. If you were looking at his tape and you were like, ah, I mean, I love his game, but I don't know how fast he is. I'm a little concerned there. And all of a sudden, boom, 4-4 four, four flat. That's fast enough, more than fast enough. Like, that is quick. It's not otherworldly 4.2, whatever, combine breaking quick. But it's it goes from this was in the guy's negatives column, right? right. If you were looking at pre-draft scouting reports on Sauce, Gard- Sauce Gardner, you were going to see stuff that was like, you know, questionable deep speed or questionable long speed or whatever it was, right? And that's that's not a thing anymore. That's not there. 
Uh, one more player I want to highlight who had a great combine is Trayvon Walker, another Georgia guy, right? All the Georgia guys, Devontae awesome. Wyatt, Walker had an incredible one. Um, I looked for comps for his numbers, and there's not many. So from an athleticism standpoint. From an athleticism standpoint, Walker has the same issue. Now, Georgia rushed the passer a little weird, right? Their edge rushers, they didn't give the edge rushers this wide alignment a whole lot to really get up the field and attack tackles. They were a little bit tighter. It was, um, I want to say it was a lot of like team-based pass rushing, right? Setting up your teammates and a lot of stunts and all that stuff. But Trayvon Walker's pass rush production is not there. Excellent run defender. Um, I, I, when I was watching his film, I was like, there's some JPP type of athleticism and movement skills and stuff here. Did you pull up his numbers, Walker? Okay, no. I'm going to pull up his numbers here in a minute. Um, I want to read them off, and I only found one player that's similar to him. So Walker on the edge, over 270, right? He's moving incredibly well. Weigh, he weighs it at 272. Arm length is 35 and a half. That's 97th percentile. 40-yard dash, 4.51, 97th percentile. There's nobody in that ballpark, by the way. 4.51 at that weight in this, in this size. Vertical was 75th percentile. Broad was 84th percentile. Three-cone, 93rd percentile. So that's Walker from Georgia. The only players that we could find in the database that had, uh, they were over 260, uh, under 4.640, and under 4.4. Shuttle, even though he crushed that. Montez Sweat, who went in the first round for Washington football team a couple years ago. If you move the parameters around a little bit, you get a few more players. Plus the arm length, by the way, over 35. That's where Montez Sweat comes in. If you take out the arm length, you get a few more players. Pretty unique, though, when it comes to Trayvon Walker, what he brings to the table. I think solidified himself in the first round. The question, though, his pass rush production, too. It's a similar question as Jordan Davis. Why has this player not dominated yet, despite tools that are JPP-ish or Montez Sweat-ish? Yeah, so it is exactly the same question where you're looking at a guy whose measurables, whose athleticism, all those kinds of things are absolutely off the freaking chart and wasn't as good a pass rusher as you would think somebody with that kind of athletic potential should be the one guy from that defense that was that kind of impact player was Devonte white who also i think had a really good workout did really well at the senior bowl um as well all those kinds of things but yeah like because this workout would put trayvon walker into the um aiden hutchinson Kayvon thibodeau world right if you're just looking at them as athletes and potential, like he should be right up there with them, but he isn't because he didn't have anything like the same kind of production. Like he, another guy, he had 60 pressures in three seasons, which is 681 pass rushing snaps worth. So about the same kind of rush attempts as Jordan Davis, but twice the amount of pressure. But for an edge rusher, that's still not great. More like, perspective. There are, there are guys that had that in a season. More perspective. Using trusty PFFIQ here, Sam. Real hot on the NFL scene right now, but 149 edge rushers that we have, uh, NFL and NCAA data, right? Guys that have gone on to the NFL. He ranks 134th out of 149, 10th percentile, pure pass rush grade, which again, translates very well to the NFL. So I don't know if I'm going to put this in article form at some point. I, I really think all of these data points, you always talk about sliders, right? Mm -hmm. QB, if the arm strength's up. 
you could deal with less accuracy and all these different things. All these data points are doing is raising or dropping the player's draft draft grade, so to speak. So even the guys that had a great combine, you have to look at the production, especially on the defensive line, because it translates very well at the NFL level. You have to look at the production. And even if the production's low, the combine score might move them up a little bit, draft grade-wise, but you can't completely overrate it, and you can't ignore. There are some production concerns for a lot of the players that uh, Jermaine Johnson also on the edge, you know, worked out extremely well. He's got one year of good production. There are production red flags along a lot of these defensive linemen that absolutely tore it up at the combine or a corner like Tariq Woolen. He's got an explanation, two years of the position. Um, but you have to put all this information in there as well. Can I give you a player that had has to have helped himself? I don't know enough about him yet. I, I'm really genuinely excited to see more of his tape. Can't wait. Troy Anderson, linebacker from Montana State. Yeah. Now look, number one, Montana State are the Bobcats, and they have a very cool logo, right? So I am all for wanting to like this kid. This is a good analysis. Number two, he ran a 4-4-2 at 243 pounds. That's insane. He flies, yeah. Yeah, 36-inch vertical, very good broad jump as well. His PFF grades at the FCS level are very good. Um, he's got... Two seasons worth of decent amount of tape. Uh, 2019 was good. Uh, 2021 was very good, like 80-plus across the board in basically every possible facet. Um, I'm excited to see if that if he becomes uh, one of you know a my guy from the draft along with Calvin Austin. But yeah, I always end up watching again. linebackers and running backs last. So getting around to them, getting around to a lot of these players. But, yeah, it was a big – any other names do you want to highlight coming out of the combine? I want to talk franchise tag a little bit. Uh, show. I think those are. I think that kind of covers all the guys that that definitely helped or hindered themselves. I don't think there were that many people that hurt their stock, which you know normally you come out of it and you have like an Orlando Brown workout and you're like, this guy was this is terrible. Like, good good this, segue by the way. This definitely hurt. But the Orlando Brown story, which by the way transitions to the fact he did get franchised by the Kansas City Chiefs. But the Orlando Brown story is the one that we always need to remember, that maybe the combine is not everything, right? There is The data points matter. They matter for draft position. They matter for projecting the player to the next level. But they're different for every position. And like I was, like I was saying with Trayvon Walker or even Jordan Davis, if the production is so low that they have to take a massive jump to be a productive NFL player, then you can't completely overrate the workout and just say, well, this guy's, this guy's, this guy's the next Montez Sweat. This is the next JPP. He didn't show any, like, anything like that on the field. Enough. He showed enough flashes on the field. That was Caleb Von Chason a couple years ago. Caleb Von Chason from LSU, first-round edge defender, if you put on his best 10 plays, looks like Von Miller. The problem is he played thousands of plays and didn't look anything like Von Miller on thousands of plays. You have to be careful with the production stuff. With Orlando Brown... He had the production coming out of Oklahoma. He could run block, he could pass block, he could do the things you needed to do with the NFL level. He just had a horrible workout. And yes, it's a red flag, but Orlando Brown has has been fine. He's been very good. He's been one of the best tackles in the league over the last few years. Kansas City locks him up with the franchise tag. The deadline is this week, so we'll see more of those. But Orlando Brown is the first domino to fall as far as the franchise tag goes. Yeah, which I think made sense. Um... I was coming around to the idea more and more as I thought it out that they can't let him go. <laughs> like, 
obviously it would it would make last year's trade look kind of ridiculous the sunk costs and teams hate doing that anyway but also like what is your alternative right. I mean, this year you go back to the draft and you say okay we, we draft the first round tackle at the bottom of the the first round again this was the situation they were in a year ago where they decided that the better option was to trade that for orlando brown i think they're in the same situation i don't think you're going to get the guy you want to start day one at the bottom of the first round range. I think the most the guys that are going to have that capacity in this draft are going to be gone by the time the four, the, the Chiefs pick. Um, the free agent group isn't good if Teron Armstead is out of there. And even Teron Armstead has a lot of injury history questions. You're not seeing a great or even a good left tackle available. You have the money because you've got two guys that are playing, or three guys that are playing for absolute <coughs> peanuts on the offensive line. So just pay him, get it done now, figure out the, the ramifications down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think when they made the trade, I think they were anticipating this. They right? had to have been, right? Like- Franchising and then figuring out the long-term deal along the way. You mentioned you might be able to do two franchise tags and then and then let him walk at the time when you're probably going to have to start re-upping Creed Humphrey. Right. And Trey Smith might be a good strategy for the Chiefs. On paper, there's going to be a lot invested in left tackle and left guard for this year, but you can alter that in future years. But the same thing I said during the trade last year, they're paying for certainty, right? And it's even more certain now because Orlando Brown has played in the Chiefs system. The certainty of he's a good NFL player is what they traded for last year. The question was, can he go from a run-heavy Ravens attack to a pass-heavy Chiefs attack? The answer was yes. So now you're paying for something that you're even more certain about, which is Orlando Brown, who's been a top seven most valuable tackle in the NFL the last couple of years. I think that's worth it. I understand. Um, again, for the Chiefs, the only thing I hope from their team building aspect is it doesn't take away from adding playmakers. A ton of explosive playmakers or good playmakers to make life easier for Mahomes because he needs it. He's only got Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. No, to make life difficult for opposing defenses. Yeah. We're waiting on Devontae Adams, assuming that's going to happen. Yep. Now, if Aaron Rodgers breaks the bank, which is the rumor here, a lot of Aaron Rodgers rumors, if he breaks the bank at quarterback – and Devontae gets franchise tagged, can they do anything else? So the timing of the Aaron Rodgers thing, right? He, he said he was going to give the Packers enough time. I don't think he has. Huh? He is just a drama queen, right? Like this thing came out. The, uh, the, there was a new tweet drop that was quite clearly just from like the pen of an agent, you know, by one of the, the insider guys. And it was dropped like right at the time everyone was getting hype for the combine. I mean, that's not a coincidence. Like, no. this is this guy. He just wants to be in the news all the time. Plus, Rodgers hijacked all of our draft coverage on draft night right? last year. This is what I'm saying. Like, Rodgers is just that drama queen. Yeah. You learn from the best, man. Brett Favre. You learn from Favre. I, I just think it is amazing that, like, there must have been no human being more miserable for that period of time than Aaron Rodgers, right? Sitting behind Brett Favre, watching this guy do his drama crap every year and be like dude just go away so i can start my nfl career like stop this crap. now i'm gonna do it right so he he watches that happen for years at a time internalizes it and then 15 years later just repeats the whole strategy again and people are upset being like oh it's not the same wait until he officially retire you know whatever it, it's the same it's just done in a different way like he is dropping these nuggets to age to you know, insiders, like, right at key times just to keep the guy's name in the news. Like, this is just, it's, I'm just amazed that him, of all people, would repeat this playbook, having been, like, the chief victim of it 
15 years ago. Well, the league, the league year starts next week. Yeah. He said he would give the Packers plenty of time. He knows the league calendar. He it's knows to tomorrow, you need to prep. Right? Wasn't tomorrow the deadline somebody put on it? Maybe. Pat McAfee show tomorrow? Is he on, is he on McAfee? I don't know. I did, but I don't McAfee's know. McAfee's going to be at WrestleMania, by the way, facing Vince McMahon. Yeah. Mike Silver had a tweet that, like, it was Bakhtiari's wedding or something over the weekend, so he wasn't going to do it before then. Uh, and then, like, Tuesday or something was the deadline. Of course. We don't want to take any of the, you know, attention away from Bakhtiari's wedding. Could never do that. Uh, Jesse Bates for the Bengals. Sounds like he's going to get franchise tagged at safety. I think that makes sense for them. Yep. Uh, Harold Landry. Probably going back to Tennessee if that's the case. Look, the thing about franchise tags is it's not – it doesn't affect the – it's a one-year thing, right? If you Can you handle the cap hit for one year from a team, build, a team building you, standpoint? And if you can't, you probably have bigger problems. You have bigger problems if you can't. But if the Titans do that, that's for one year, a lot locked up in Harold Landry and Bud Dupree on the edge. Uh, J.C. Jackson for the Patriots will not be franchise tagged. Is the they report. seem to be letting him go. That is wild to me. The Their ta- number one corner without him is Jalen Mills. The tag's over $17 million. It is. It's expensive. But, like, you need him. So I think I, I wonder how much of this is a pivot defensively. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of talk. To Like, whatever it is, you need Just him. more zone and, and less man-to-man. And Okay. Your number one corner is still Jalen Mills. I don't care what scheme you're running. That's a problem. I know. I know. Um, the Patriots. Just to, I want to give a quick history of the Patriots at corner. Okay. They had a bad defense for a while, early last decade, 2009 through 12 or so. They had a really bad defense. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just wasn't up to Belichick's standard. They were playing a lot more zone. They pivoted to play a lot more man-to-man. They, and they did it. They cycled through guys who could do it. They traded for Aqib Tlaib in 2012 and started to play a lot more man. It made sense. They get Darrell Revis in 2014. This is when their defense started to get back on track is when they started to play more man, and they, and they stocked up at corner to do that. Revis in 2014. They eventually get Stephon Gilmore in 2017, right? So they, 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 Malcolm Butler had emerged in between that time. They always had a true number one corner during that time, all the way up till Gilmore getting traded during the 2021 season. J.C. Jackson emerged. So on one hand, you're banking on Malcolm Butler and J.C. Jackson, two of the biggest undrafted free agents to become stars in the NFL over the last decade. So on one hand, the Patriots made those guys or found those guys, and maybe you have confidence that you can find the next one. On the other hand, the Patriots always had a true number one corner, no matter what, for the last decade. And that was a huge part of their defense. So right now they don't have a true number one corner, and we don't know who that next developed free agent is. So I'm just saying that overall strategy is risky. And, but the Belichick and the Patriots banking on them, them finding another one. They don't just need another one. They need another two or three. They do need multiple. Like, I'm just saying that they had this top guy, and they used that guy as a top guy tactically. Yeah. Like and then you, everything has fed off of that. The entire defense has worked over the last few years because they've had one guy they are certain can eliminate a receiver. And whether it was Stephon Gilmore or J.C. Jackson, that's been the thing that's allowed everything else to function on the back end. And if you're pivoting away from that and you're just playing a quote-unquote regular defense with you know, more normal coverage assignments where you just play your zone or whatever and do your job, fine. But you still need players that can do that. Like J.C. Jackson is an elite ball-hawking safety that can make – corner that can make high-end plays in zone or man 
outside of him, you don't have one of those. And you need kind of two or three of those high-end players to survive in today's NFL. So regardless of the scheme you're running, it makes no sense to me to let a guy like that walk, even if you have to pay him a a big sum of money uh, to keep him around. Because what is your game plan? I just obviously... And Jalen Mills played vaguely okay in that scheme relative to everything else. But the idea that you could go with him, try and get a guy in the low end of the first round to play, it just... It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Chris Godwin could get the tag by the box. I think they'd be debating between him and Carlton Davis at corner. But if you get Chris Godwin, if you're the box, do you have to go with Godwin just to keep him and Evans together and keep it attractive for maybe if there's a trade candidate at QB, which, by the way, the trade candidates seem like they're disappearing. Don't forget, there's the, uh, the door is still open for Tom Brady. It, you have to keep the... Um, you have to keep things attractive for Tom with the light on. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting situation for Tampa Bay now because nobody's closing the door on Tom Brady coming back. But you close the door the second you find a real alternative with the position, right? right. Like if you, if you treat now as we have no quarterback, we need to go get a quarterback, and you go trade for a Russell Wilson, well, then obviously you can't bring Tom Brady back. So the idea that Tom Brady – if they believe that there is a – real chance that Tom Brady reverses his decision and plays again next season, you, if, you want, if you think that's a thing, you kind of have to stall for the entire offseason and therefore not have an alternative, a viable alternative. Like, if you do that and Brady decides to stay retired, <coughs> you're starting Kyle Trask, for better or worse. Like, that's your option. Or, you know... Yeah, I don't think they're banking on Brady coming Or back. you're picking up, like, whoever's left at the end of the offseason once Brady finally decides in September he's not showing up, right? You make a call to whoever's still on the street, and that's your starting quarterback. Neither of those seem like great options. So... Do you just keep feeding Brady, like, OTA schedules and... But what I'd be like... Keep so him on the email chain, you know? Given that dynamic, like, what is the percentage chance you would have to think Brady comes back in your mind for you to basically treat that as a real option? 50 plus 50 yeah so if it's 50 50 that brady comes back you would be okay with basically Rolling not doing dice. anything in the offseason and hoping he comes back I, I honestly i just don't know what the opportunities are i mean if if you say bring in a marcus mariota as like a cheap starter that's not keeping you from brady that's not right but you, cheap though depending on the contract it would have to be cheap him or Jameis back or whatever that is find one of the trubisky you find one of those guys there's like hype there's a trubisky. lot of trubisky hype God. Probably straight from the Trubisky camp, but there's a lot of there's a lot of hype. Um, I, again, I'd be intrigued by Trubisky as a backup. Backup. I would yeah. want him on my team just to see. Like, did he backup? I mean, look, there's no quarterback. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. There's actually quite a lot of those. <laughs> there's a lot of quarterbacks you could sell me on as a backup, and particularly reclamation project backups. Um, there's also a bunch of quarterbacks that I think just have no business taking NFL contracts outside of being a coach. Right. That's a different thing. Anyway. But, like, he's being talked about as a starter. Trubisky. Yeah. Yeah. It's where we are in the NFL. I always say, is this guy a top 32 quarterback with Trubisky? I think it's it's borderline. He's close. Yeah. But I, I think Mariota's in there. Winston's in there. Did They're you top see 32. The, uh, did you see the house that Matt Nagy is selling now that he's no longer a Bears coach? I did not. It's like a mansion. So, actually... It basically looks like Neil's house, but if he built a basketball court, branded Bear stuff. That's what we're talking about here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nagy's basement had all his, like... So he still has the play sheet wall. Play sheets. That's still there 
in the house. I don't know where this is, but there's a locker room where there's like a small, but with like Bears lockers, right? Bears colored lockers. And then he has a, like a half basketball court, a half court with branded bear stuff. So the man was all in. Whatever you say about like the job he did, he bought into the Bears things. Like all that entire house is branded bear stuff. Did you get like Ryan Poles? Like, hey, Ryan, what do you think of this house? <laughs> As luck would have it, one has just come on the market. <laughs> man, we should buy it and do our podcast from there. Apparently he bought it for like $2 million or something. They're now trying to sell it for like seven. So, Well, you know, the, the market's... Market's cooking. Well, I think he's also done some improvements, such as the basketball. That's court. true. It wasn't Bears branded right. previously. There's going to be some super fan that's going to go there yeah. and also burn those play sheets. Anyway, um, the other one that was in, do you see Mike McDaniel's comments? They were asking about Mike Gusecki. Mike McDaniel, head coach of the Dolphins. Mike Gusecki, we expect Mike Gusecki to, to block and to play tight end. I mean, he felt like he was putting, he was just like, look, when we franchise tag Mike Gusecki as a tight end, just know that in our offense, he's a tight end. He's going to block. We expect him to do everything that a tight end does. I think Mike McDaniel was tactically um, commenting on Mike Kosicki, future tight end, so they could tag him for under, t- for under 11 million rather than close to 20. I never even thought about that, actually, as part of this argument, that what happens if the guy gets franchise tagged by a different regime? The next than, team. Yeah, than the one. Right? Than the one that previously it, was playing him in a completely different spot. McDaniel's got an – I mean, if – like, I don't know if these do these things go to arbitration or to court or anything like that. Because if they do, Mike McDaniel's just like, look, he's my next George Kittle. I mean, Gusecki, right. Gusecki has a genuinely great argument for being tagged as a wide receiver. He played like 93% of his snaps or something as a true wide receiver, either out wide or in the slot. And not, remember when they did this with Jimmy Graham before, and part of his, part of the argument used against him being tagged as a wide receiver was that he used to line up in the slot as in a two-point receiver stance, but he was basically like a yard from the tight end, right? So technically you're in the slot, but you're lined up as a tight end here. Whereas Gusecki, when he lines up in in the slot as a receiver, is not attached to the formation. Like he's genuinely in the slot running slot receiver routes. So if you were looking at his the last couple of years of every every piece of information you have for Gusecki, that's a really good argument to make him a wide receiver, not a tight end, in designation, but right. it, but but in Mike McDaniel's offense, that's irrelevant. Like, what do I care where he played in the old regime? For me, he's going to line up where right. George Kittle is, and he's, he's a tight, tight end. end. And I think I think they're going to tag him, and uh, we'll see. Look, I, I, it's going to happen within the next two days, right? The deadline. So I think what we'll do here is the daily. We'll cover the franchise tags this week. Daily, we'll, we'll cover the franchise tags and what they mean. We're going to get back on track with fixing your team in five minutes, Wednesday and Thursday this week. So we have to do the NFC. We'll fix your team in five minutes, LOLJK. Um, go check out the AFC versions. We already have those on the feed. And then next week's free agency. Next week we'll have a full free agency preview on Monday. All of that stuff will become irrelevant as soon as we finish recording, of course. But we'll just you know we'll talk about what happened over the weekend and all the news. And then it's full free agency next week. We'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah, and hopefully at some point during that run, we'll, we'll be alive again and have recovered. Yeah. I got till Wednesday to get the voice back. Of course, we have dailies, but, you know, yeah. for the big show, got to get the voice back by Wednesday. Right. This is better than it was yesterday, I believe. A little bit. A maybe. little. Creeping back toward average voice-wise. By the way, Amari Cooper also on the trading block. Yes. And the Cowboys working on a long-term deal with Michael And we're cutting him. Cooper. Yeah. 
That because <laughs> when you say you're going to cut them and then you want to trade them, yes, and it's like hey, trade value is not high, right? It, yeah, I mean, dude, the Zeke contract is crippling that team. It's like Zeke, you just said, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, but they just don't want. They're not. It's not a money move for Cooper. They don't want him as part of the team. They're upset with no, him. No, they don't money, want him on the team. But it's because he's earning twenty million. Like. This is, they're but, upset that his his production is not matching the twenty million that he's bringing in. This is the and second team, though. Didn't the Raiders sour on him too? Yeah, but, so the but perception like, that he's not clutch and he gets nicked up and the but you know, this is come up. this is like you know um, you always kick down, you know, like something happens to you, so you take it out on somebody beneath you in the pecking order, and then they go and like hit the dog or whatever, right? And it just works its way down sure. the, the hierarchy. Like Dallas can't take their upset at the fact that they're paying Zeke Elliott a giant ton of money to do nothing. They can't take that out on Zeke because his, his contract is locked in for a while, right? They can't get rid of him without a giant amount of pain in terms of dead money and on salary cap issues. So what do they do? Well, you take it out on Cooper. Look at this bum. This guy's earning $20 million. He's not it's doing anything fault. for us. Like 700 yards? What's that? Let's get rid of him. Whereas really the guy, it's, it's projection. The guy they're really mad at is Zeke, but they're stuck with him. So Amari Cooper gets the crap thrown his way. There's some truth to that, but I think, I don't know, Raiders fans and Cowboys fans and the regimes. But fans are Both. different. Like fans I, but I think the whatever. regimes have also soured on Amari Cooper. I think it's the second organization that has soured on Amari Cooper and thought wide receiver one skills but not put it all together. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you reading that's like intriguing you? <laughs> There's some somebody's posted something on Twitter that's called Intangilytics. Uh, I know, I saw it. Which appears to be real, not a bit. And it, it's it's ranking Kayvon Thibodeau and Chase Young on a, uh, a spider graph of, of <laughs> what appear to be intangible uh, craziness. So, wow, Austin really achievement striving grit. Positivity, leadership, empathy, curiosity, self-discipline, action-oriented, conscientiousness, and adaptability are the points on this graph, which all of which, as far as I can tell, are completely intangible and arbitrary and no earthly way of being able to quantify. I don't think he had a test. Uh, I don't think he tested the prospects on these things. No. Anyway, the upshot of this was there's no red flags for either player. This was Kayvon versus Chase Young? Yeah. Yeah, I've moved on from uh, radar charts, spider charts, too. The analytics people don't like them. Deceptive. They're deceptive. I used to love them. Yeah. I've moved on. And now that you got. And that's the least of the problem. You've been bullied by the nerds again. A little bit. A little bit. Anyway. Um, anyway, uh, PFF, uh, what's our promo? NFL Pod. Promo's NFL Pod. You get 25% yes. off anything. Before you leave on YouTube, 25% off. Go get it. NFL Pod. Draft guide, we'll have some updates on that. But uh, 365 days of access, and only the NFL pod. Only we can give you 25% off, so use that promo code, NFLPOD, for any PFF subscription. All right, we've run our course here today. Okay. How was my Jordan game? Well, I mean, we made it to the end. It's probably better. So I think you split the difference between Jordan's flu game and Andrew Hawkins' flu game that he tweeted about. Yeah, he was saying he thought he was going to have it in the playoffs. He got ill just before a playoff game against Houston um, to the point where they had to move him away from A.J. Green. They were sharing a room. They had to take him away from Green in case they got Green sick. Obviously, that was their their important guy. And he was tweeting that he was so convinced 
that he was going to have a Jordan flu game, right? He's going to go out there, feels like crap, and just dominate, be the story. And he said he had two catches for 14 yards and a fumble, and they lost the game. Everybody wants their Jordan flu game. Hey, I didn't fumble, so that's good. You're right, in between that and Jordan. Yeah, you split the difference. Fair enough. You're, good you're job, Hawk. On the fairway. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back Wednesday. We're fixing all the NFC teams this week. When you wrap up the uh, the intensity and the volume, that's when the voice really yeah, starts trying to, to cling by a thread. That's why I thought I'd have a Kirk Cousins voice crack. <laughs> I, I thought I'd get loud at some point. It would go yeah. haywire. All right. No more talk until Wednesday. See you guys. Uh-huh.